Hey loves, I'm Constance of the Sovereign Mother Goddess Podcast, and today we're with Amy Spencer Youngs. She's a mentor for mom entrepreneurs, and I'm so excited for you to learn more about her story and for us to dive right into different ways to deal with grief, and we talk about some great tips for mom entrepreneurs just starting out. So let's dive right in. The thing that really attracted me to your content, especially, was that you do something that, like, we call it Seder. With Seder is the idea that we get to write our own destiny. You talk about taking what you've gone through and then rewriting it to this powerful story that you have. Can you tell me about your start of doing that for yourself? Were you always able to do that? I was not always able to do that. I think the shift for me was gradual. As a kid and a young adult, I had a very fixed mindset about things. I believed that I was who I was. And no matter how much effort I put into anything, I was just who I was. I couldn't be any better or any worse than what I was. Like if things came naturally to me, then that was great. And if they didn't, then there was no sense in putting effort into that because it just wasn't meant to be, right? As I got into my adulthood, so I'm currently 46 and I was probably in my early 30s and started to explore kind of alternative practices. So what I considered alternative, yoga and meditation, mindfulness. And in doing that, I really just fell in love with the idea that our perception determines our reality, right? The way we see things determines how we behave in the world, right? What we see in front of us and how we then interpret that determines how we behave. And so learning to acknowledge that my thoughts and beliefs were not always the truth was a big turning point for me. And then as a writer, as someone who's always loved stories and reading and writing, I probably at some point came across something that said, you get to write your own story. And it occurred to me that I could take those beliefs that I had been believing that were keeping me in a place I didn't want to be in. And I could decide what the story got to be from that point. I could choose to rewrite the future that I thought was coming for me, that fixed mindset, right? I could choose to say, okay, that's not what I want to believe. And then I started practicing visualization and doing vision boards and all of the things that kind of come when you dive into personal development and spiritual development worlds. And the more I did it, the more I chose the story that I wanted to write for myself, the more I found myself living that story out. And so it was like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like you get to create the life that you want. And that's not to minimize people who struggle with depression and anxiety and mental health disorders, because those are real things too. And they make it a lot harder for us to change those stories, to change those thoughts and beliefs, to recognize what is truth and what is not true. But even in those situations, I believe that the tools that I teach and the tools that I use can be really helpful in shifting the stories that we tell ourselves. That's absolutely true. It honestly has been a topic I've always wanted to go into. Something that was really powerful for me that I can't remember the name of the book that I was reading, but he was talking about how we think of power as this go-getter energy, so masculine. And then you have like a little baby 
And a baby is so powerful and how they change your life, they alter it. It's interesting how weakness can even be power. When we get stuck in our victim story, it's a powerful creator in itself and we don't realize it. Yeah, I think there are kind of two, probably more than two, but I tend to see two camps of people, right? There's the people who believe that we're just kind of victims of our own fate, right? Like things happen to us and we just have to react to them and deal with them. And that's just life. And then there's the people who believe that things happen. Yes, sometimes things happen. They're really crappy and we do have to learn how to deal with them but we can see them for what they are, which is experiences that we can learn from and grow from. And I'm not going to lie and say that I've never felt like I was in that first camp, right? Like I've experienced a lot of hardship and trauma in my life and it's been hard. And for a long time, I felt like I was the victim. I was going to have to deal with whatever came my way. And I even created a story around the idea that struggle was just what my life was meant to be and that I was strong enough to get through it. So there was this positive that was coming out of it, right? Like I can do this. I can handle anything that comes my way because look at all the stuff that I've been through. But it was more from a perspective of someone else is the master of my fate. I am not the master of my fate. And then I realized within the last few years going through, you know, I lost my husband three years ago. We lost our house. My kids and I had to move in with my parents 400 miles away from where they were born. And in the same small town that I grew up in, where I had that like mindset of everything's happening to me. And then I show up as this different person in this space and things are happening to me that I cannot control. And I realize I have two choices Can let this thing keep happening to me. I can be beat down by the situation or I can choose to say, okay, what in this is for me? What in this can I use to propel me forward instead of feeling like I'm stuck, like I can't move, like the grief will never end. Nothing I do will ever get me to where I want to go, right? Like we all have these thoughts and feelings when things happen to us. And for me, that moment really felt like I can choose to say, okay, this is where I'm at and I'm going to learn from this experience. I'm going to figure out the next step to take and I'm going to take it. I'm going to feel my grief. I'm going to feel my pain. I'm going to feel all of my feelings, but I'm not going to feel like this happened to me. I'm going to believe that it happened for me, that it happened for whatever reason, because we can't know all of the reasons, but that it happened and there is something in it that I can use to take forward with me and build on. And that's exactly what I did. And so I think there is power in those moments of weakness, right? Those moments of I've just hit rock bottom. I, I don't know which way is up. In that moment, I can also say this is a foundation, right? Like this is a beginning and I don't want it to be the end. So I'm going to rebuild from this foundation. Your story is honestly so inspiring. That's the reason I really wanted you on here to especially work through grief. That's really difficult to do. Do you have any tips for people on that? So I used to think that grief was something that we experienced when someone died. And that was the only time that we felt grief. 
And after my husband died, that grief was probably the most powerful grief that I felt because I wasn't just grieving my loss, but I was grieving the loss that my children were experiencing. It magnified what I was feeling. And I used to, when I would feel grief, push it down, I would busy myself and try to avoid the feelings because grief and people who experience grief really powerfully can attest to this. It's one of the most complex and complicated emotions that we feel as humans. My dad passed away shortly before my oldest was born. So about 10 years ago, like I'd felt grief in the past, but that was really my first big experience with grief. And my response was to tamp it down, keep busy. I was pregnant. I didn't want to focus on the sadness. I didn't want to focus on all those feelings. So as someone who had been doing that all her life, it was just a natural response to like hide the feelings, hide the feelings, do whatever I needed to just get through them. I did a lot of personal development and growth during those 10 years between my dad's death and now and the six or seven years between my dad's death and my husband's death. And the difference when my husband died was that I knew if I didn't deal with my grief, I wouldn't be able to help my kids deal with their grief because I wouldn't be able to tell them or show them a positive experience of dealing with grief. And the last thing that I wanted for them was to, in their young ages, have that in them for the rest of their lives. Because I don't know what you believe about emotions, but I firmly believe that if we don't feel them, if we don't get them out, they stay in us and they will come up over and over and over again in the most random situations um, with all the triggers because they're meant to be felt. They're meant to move through us. And so tips for dealing with grief are number one, to let yourself feel it. And at first, I use this metaphor when I tell people how it felt to me over the last few years. Like at first, it feels like a massive storm. Like you're in a ship on the ocean and you are just getting knocked all over the place. And then as I allowed myself to feel that, the storm starts to calm and you keep sailing and then you hit another storm and maybe it's not quite as big, but it feels pretty powerful, pretty potent. And the longer you're sailing, the calmer it feels for longer, but we still run into those storms, right? But those summer thunderstorms pop up or the, the winter blizzards come around or those spring rain showers show up. That's what grief feels like to me. Like it never really goes away. We're always going to be experiencing it from a different perspective. My oldest, I took him to see a psychologist and I wanted to make sure that my kids were processing their grief as well as they could in the age that they were in. And the psychologist said to me, grief is not linear. They will continue to reprocess these feelings every time they go through a different developmental phase. And as an adult, I think that's true for us too. Like every time we learn something new about ourselves, every time we grow a little bit, every time we hit a new phase in our lives, we reprocess the things that we've been through from that perspective. If you're feeling grief, if you're going through grief, allow yourself permission to feel it. Allow yourself permission 
to continue to grieve at whatever level you need to grieve for as long as you need to do it. It's not quick. It's not easy. It's not one and done. It's going to be there with you. Like it changes who you are and how you see the world. And that's not a bad thing. The more you love, I read somewhere once that grief is the feeling of love lost, right? Like the more you loved, the harder you'll grieve. And if we're living our lives in love, grief is going to be a natural byproduct of that. So another thing about grief is that especially in American society, in Western culture, we don't know how to handle people who are grieving because we never learned how to grieve ourselves. When I was growing up, it was very common to hear, you know, oh, brush it off, get it together. Don't feel those feelings or don't show those feelings. And so when people grieve around us, it can be really hard to know how to respond to that because we don't know how to handle our own grief. And therefore it's really uncomfortable for us to sit with someone who is grieving. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything except I'm here, I'm with you. And let that be enough. Holding space can be enough. Because telling someone that it will get better, as time passes, it'll feel less intense. And I've been guilty of saying these things too. I think even in just what I just said, like the truth is that for me, that was my experience that as time went on, those feelings of grief become less intense and less often. But telling someone else who's in like the throes of grief that it's going to get better, time will heal, all those platitudes that we give people when they're going through something, those aren't helpful when you're in the depths of grief. Being willing to sit with someone in their grief and hold space for them without trying to fix it, because I think that's another thing that we feel like we have to do for the people that we love. Getting comfortable not fixing it, but just holding space for them is one of the best and most loving things that you can do for someone who is going through grief or really any kind of trauma or pain. Being willing to just hold space and not try to use your words or actions to fix it, I think is just such a beautiful gift that you can give. Honestly, like everything you just said is a huge gift to people to connect better too through grief. I think that's very true. And grief is a really strong example. But to be honest, like in any relationship that you have, being willing to hold space and not try to fix things, it's a skill that is worth practicing. And I'm learning that with my own kids, right? Like I've always been a fixer. That is a story that I'm working on shifting. I'm a generator, human design. I'm the type of person who can get things done and likes to fix things. With humans, that can be pretty complicated. And I've seen it really harm relationships that I've had with other humans. But having kids has kind of opened my eyes to the benefit of allowing them space and not trying to fix things. Like the first thing we want to do as parents is like, oh, I don't want them to cry. Like, I, oh, they're hurt. I want to fix it. Like, 
oh, they're feeling these big feelings. I want to help them move through it as quickly as possible. But the reality is that when we do that, especially for our children, we're not giving them the opportunity to learn the skills that they need to learn to handle life in an effective and positive way, right? Like if I don't ever let my kids feel pain, if I don't ever let them feel anger, if I try to move them too quickly through their sadness, then they will start to believe that they're not meant to feel these things. And then we get into the toxic positivity and the drive to feel happy all the time and the need to take medication, not because there's a chemical imbalance, but because we're worried that we're not happy enough, right? So that like gets us off on a tangent. The gift of being human is the spectrum of emotions. And if we are too quick to try to fix emotions, we're not going to ever be able to experience that full spectrum of our humanity. You're fine with the tangent you went on because honestly, a lot of us, we keep looking at other people's ideas and like also looking at society and judging our own idea of what happiness is. And then we fall short and we're still empty. We're still feeling alone until we actually start to hear ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And, and we can get into a space where we depend on other people to tell us what's good and what's not good, what's right and what's wrong, what's up and what's down for ourselves. When the true guidepost is already inside us, right? The true North is already inside us. We don't allow ourselves to connect to that if all we know is that I shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't be hurt, I shouldn't be sad, I shouldn't feel this way or that way. And then we don't know how to feel or what to do because we've never had that experience. We learn from those experiences. So during my challenge I've been doing, you actually reminded me of, because I was talking about Frozen yesterday, I think it was... And about Elsa and her whole, like, don't feel concealed, don't let it show. If we were to really just dive deep into those emotions, that can be our powerhouse. Yes, because our emotions are signals, right? They're like messages from our body telling us maybe this doesn't feel right. Or I really loved that person so much and I'm going to miss them being in my life, right? hey, I'm on the right path. This is lighting me up. This is making me feel joyful, right? Those feelings are guideposts. Without the ability to tap into them, we don't have that inner guidance system. And I'm not saying that we can't use our logic, although I will say that logic should not be anyone's first course of action, right? Our bodies are really the messengers. Yes. But we have all this knowledge, right? We do want to use our logical minds to understand things for sure. But when it comes to like knowing what's best for us, knowing what's in alignment with who we want to be, being able to connect with our emotions is one of the key things that I will say personally has changed how I live my life. I used to be very like analytical, logical, and I'm still that way, although I'm trying to decondition myself a bit from that. I was the science brain, the math brain always overanalyzing everything, pros and cons, you name it. And the more I started to practice yoga and meditation, the more I started reconnecting with my body and my inner wisdom, 
my emotions, developing my emotional IQ, the more I'm able to trust my own inner guidance system, the more I'm able to trust my own wisdom. But when I was in that logical, like mind space, I was constantly seeking like outer validation, constantly seeking outer opinions, right? Like constantly telling people what I wanted to do so that I could gauge their reaction to see if maybe it might be the right thing for me or not the right thing. Now I'm able to say more consistently because I am not perfect at this by any means. There are still times when I look for that external validation or look for that external input, but more often I'm able to sit with myself and ask myself, how does this feel for me? In human design, I'm an emotional authority. So really tapping into my emotions is important in helping me to understand what alignment is for me in my life. There are other authorities in human design and sometimes it's intuition, sometimes it's environment. There are lots of different authorities for human design, but all of them come down to being able to connect with your own inner wisdom in your body, not in your mind. I feel like as a mother, grief is a huge part of it too. Like you're so excited about having your kids, but you don't realize the things that you're going to have to give up necessarily like we get lost in the whole journey of birthing in general and like planning all that out and then we we kind of forget like oh you have to like raise this kid for years and years and there's just so much grief especially this time around with having a second born it's just that feeling torn between you have a kid that is four and wants to run and go do things and then you have a baby that just wants to stay home and rest especially that that grief going on as a mother. Did you have that to go through too? I'm sure you see it a lot with your clients too. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I started working with moms was because I had my two really close, they're 23 months apart. And I was an older first time mom. So I was 36 when my oldest was born. And I had lived a lot of my life, right? Like I had that independence, I had the freedom and I traveled and I I worked and I enjoyed my life. I enjoyed the routine of it. And then that switch happened for me really quickly. And it was almost like shock. I knew I wanted kids. I, I wanted to be a mom. I had always wanted to be a mom. I believed that it was going to be one of the easiest things in the world because I was so good with kids. And that was a joke in itself. I don't even want to get off on that tangent. But, you know, we think we know what the experience is going to be like. And then it, it happens. And I wouldn't say that every mom goes through this, but I think that a lot of moms and the majority of moms that I have worked with, there's a period of feeling like you've lost yourself in motherhood, right? And sometimes that lasts for a few months and sometimes it lasts for years. Like I know moms who have just sent their kids off to college who feel like they're only now really rediscovering who they are and what they love. When I first started coaching, I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I started out really just wanting to create a community for moms where they could just start to explore what they wanted for themselves. 
now as mom and rediscover the parts of themselves that maybe they had lost or set aside or put on pause because those early stages of motherhood can just feel really hard and overwhelming. I love that about your community. And I love that you have the no judgment. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. Because in so many mom groups, that's like a huge struggle, especially. I think there is this element of insecurity in motherhood because there is no manual, right? We only know what we think we know. And then we get into motherhood. We have those babies. We're holding them in our arms and we're like, oh boy, now what? There really is no manual. And every child is different and every parent-child relationship is different. There's a lot of insecurity around motherhood. And that insecurity, in my experience, leads to judgment because if we're judging ourselves, we're judging others. And then the way that we make ourselves feel like we're doing okay is by by creating that duality of my way is right and your way is wrong. That never felt good to me. Like I knew from the get-go that it was trial and error. I was just figuring the thing out. And there was no way that I was going to say my way was the right way. But I did know other moms who felt like they knew the right way and that was it. And that was the way they were doing it. And they were telling all their friends that that was the way they were doing it. And if you weren't doing it that way, even if they didn't say it out loud, there was definitely an element of like, oh, that's not the right way, you know? I think one of the big things that I wanted to make sure happened in the communities that I've created is that we were all there to support one another. There's no one way to do anything. And so motherhood is us figuring it out along the way. And hopefully we have people surrounding us who will cheer us on, who will make suggestions if we're struggling, but who won't make us feel bad if we do something that they don't think is the right way. And that's how I tried to live my life. And that's the kind of community that I wanted to create because judgment does not help us do better. It doesn't help us make change. Judgment creates shame and shame is the thing that keeps us from doing anything. That's the thing that keeps us stuck. There's definitely room for discussion and openness, but no judgment allowed in my communities. I love that because it's you, like you were talking about before, holding the space and you're claiming your space too. And so many of us are still learning how to do that online and that we're allowed to do that. And when you're talking about how moms judge each other and how there's a certain way to do things, I keep thinking of all these kids shows. I feel like they're more helpful for parents too, to help us grow. With Bluey, have you watched Bluey with your kids? I haven't. I think um, Bluey like came out after my kids moved on from the like younger cartoons. There's an episode on Bluey called Mom School. So the daughter just wants to be graded on pretending to be a mom to balloons. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, it's actually, it's pretty cute. And um, one of the balloons that keeps floating gets loose. And then she asked her mom if she failed um, mom school. And she told her that how it's like how kids go off when they're ready to. And well, you know, in motherhood, there's actually no grading. But the trial and error that you're talking about, like, I know that I was at one point that person who did think I knew the right thing for kids. And then, yeah, you have kids. And with each one, there's a right thing that's different, too. That was the most interesting thing to me. I thought like, oh, I had one. I'll know how to do the next one. It's not that way at all. 
did you experience that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not that way at all. And it's still like this learning experience. Now, like my kids are almost 10 and almost eight. And because they're so close together, sometimes I forget that there's this age gap, right? Because 10 is very different than eight. Nine is very different than seven. I have to catch myself and like that response for my older child is not the response that my younger child needs in that situation. And because I am a solo parent, that makes it even more challenging because I can't say, you know, like you handle that one and I'll handle this one or personalities sometimes don't mash. It would be easier sometimes to say, oh, I'm going to let your dad handle this or, I'm, you know, I'm going to let my partner handle this and I can't. So I have to remember that number one, I'm going to make mistakes and it is okay. The important part for me is the repairing. If I handle a situation in a way that in hindsight does not feel good to me, I'm the first one to like go to my child and say, when I said that thing or when I you know, raised my voice that way, or when I did that thing, I wish I hadn't done it that way. And this is the way I'm going to try to do it next time. So that they learn that number one, it is okay to make mistakes. Number two, when we hurt someone that we love, the best way to handle that is to admit that we've done something that we wish we hadn't done and to then try to change that behavior. And then number three, that when you're in relationship with someone, communication is the most important element. Me being able to say, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't do that the way I wish I'd done it. And we all make mistakes. And I was really hard on myself, but I'm going to try to forgive myself. And I hope that you can forgive me. Let's try to do that differently next time. I just want to say that's not just going to set them up for good relationship with friends and family, but it's going to set them up for any encounters that they have as they grow up, as they get older. Like, especially expecting more from people instead of being like, well, that's how that person is. And that's it. No, people can evolve and change. Yeah. And my parents didn't handle things that way. Not to say that they were very disciplinarian, but there wasn't a lot of talk about feelings in the house. There wasn't like a big desire to, it was very much kids are either obedient or they're not obedient. I think that's shifted in this, you know, newer generation, understanding that kids don't have the mental capacity in a lot of situations to be quote unquote mature or to be obedient. And so understanding kind of how a child's brain works and understanding more of that emotional intelligence and wanting to like kids learn from example, right? They learn from what they see and what they experience. And so if I can just in some way help them to understand the importance of acknowledging mistakes and making change. I think that's just a really important tool for them to have. I totally agree. So I saw someone online on Facebook who has no kids. She was writing about feeling unaccomplished and single, how she may not be growing a human, but she's growing into the best version of herself. I couldn't help but think of the myth that motherhood stops our personal growth. Like I have a friend who is waiting forever, I feel like, to have a kid because she thinks that she'll just stop growing as a person after that. I feel like it's given me so much personally motivation and magnetized my desire to live my purpose. 
I wanted to see how you felt about that. Yeah, I love this because it kind of goes hand in hand with the idea that we are insecure about our own situation. So then we judge ourselves, which then leads to us judging others, right? The grass is always greener, right? And we think we know what someone else is experiencing, but we don't really, we don't ever know. There is an element of freedom in how we grow and change when we're single, right? There's an element of choice and freedom that you don't always have when you're a parent. That being said, I think you're totally right that when we become parents, it's almost like, like I always say entrepreneurship is like a hardcore class in personal development, right? And I think becoming a parent is a similar kind of crash course. (laughs) You have a child and all of a sudden you have to learn how to be you and be mom. You have to decide like, does this change my vision and mission for my life? Does it change how I feel about my purpose? Does it change how I feel about my goals? When I first had my oldest, I planned on going back to work full time. And then I realized I didn't want to do that. Like I thought I was going to be the nine to five working mom and I didn't have any problem, you know, putting my child in daycare. And then I had my son and I was working remotely a little bit in the first 12 weeks after he was born. And I was like, I kind of like this. And I've been thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. I had been an entrepreneur kind of side hustle for a long time and was like, I could just jump into this full force. And I did. And that in itself became like a whole (laughs) personal development journey. But I think you're right that no matter what phase of life we're in, we are either staying still we're growing. And while yes, the single person may have more time, energy, freedom to choose what development they're doing, how they're growing and changing and learning. There is so much growth and change and learning in becoming a parent, becoming a caretaker for someone else. They're apples and oranges. You can't really compare them, but they're both opportunities for growth. There was something I saw because I was going through your blog that you wrote, and I felt like this is what motherhood makes you do, especially is that you were talking about how when you go through change and you want to change your life, it's necessary to just do the things that we feel that we can't and to challenge our limitations and adding more and more change little by little until we've crafted the life that we desire. And that is motherhood. It's like the pressure's on that you have to choose to make the changes. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It helps you to be able to master change in a way that you're comfortable, you know, creating change all the time. And there's so many things like you talked about traveling and especially with kids, like I'm thinking about going to the zoo, maybe with my kids or something like a little date, but you never know what mood they're in, but you don't know what's going to happen. So change is ever happening with kids. Like you can have the greatest ideas ever of like the perfect day and they're in a mood. So yeah, at one point I said to someone like having kids is like choosing to be face to face with your triggers 24 seven 
kids have a way of pointing out to you the areas that need to be addressed in such a powerful way. I remember the summer after my husband died, my stepbrother and his family live in Omaha, Nebraska, and we're in Northern New York. They invited us to come out and stay for a couple of weeks with them. And I love road trips and thought, you know what, let's just do it. Like I knew it would be good for all of us to have this experience and to be with family and the boys would get to spend time with their cousins. I'm like, okay, you know, let's do it. And I planned our stops and we stopped to visit a friend and we were going to stay at hotels, which my kids love. And, and I was like, this is going to be fabulous. It was an amazing trip and we have such great memories. But I am telling you, <laughs> there were moments where I was like, okay, and there's a button and there's a button. Oh, he just pushed another button. Okay. And we've got another one. Like I was like, it was like two weeks of deep dive, like healing because we were still deep in our grief at that point. And so I'd be driving and just like crying. And then my son need, dropped his tablet and my other one needed a snack and, oh, everybody's got to go to the bathroom. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is going on? But it, it was the choice. I'm so glad that I made the choice to take that trip because it showed me again, those moments of like, look what you can do. You know, I was so worried about traveling by myself with the two of them and especially in such a long distance and making it work and handling bathroom breaks and making sure they were eating and, and all of those things. And, and it just turned out to be an epic experience with a lot of moments of learning, of growing, of stretching myself. But I think, you know, a trip to the zoo or a trip to Omaha, Nebraska, either way, it's, it's a chance to show yourself what you're made of. You know, I remember when a trip to Target with a newborn was like, oh my God, can I do this? So getting to a moment where I was solo with them driving cross country was like, wow, look what I can do. I love that. Cause even the grocery store with two kids, oh my gosh. And like, it took me a while to learn that you have to give your toddler a task and make them feel helpful and then they won't, you know, do chaos. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, it can be so chaotic. Like, yeah, the littlest things can show us our strengths, especially with communicating and taking the lead. Like that is so necessary as a parent. So if you're not used to doing that at first, yeah, it's that like tug of war, I guess, too, within yourself to do it. I don't know if you went through Yeah. That. Yeah. And I will say that, and I'm still learning this lesson. I have had a tough time with setting limits and creating boundaries and relationships. And if having kids doesn't teach you that you need boundaries and limits, nothing will. So I think that's one of the big lessons that I have been and continue to learn is how to not just set limits and set boundaries, but 
hold to them for your own good. And kids, man, they will push the limits. They will test the boundaries because they don't have any reason not to, right? They're like, if I keep pushing, maybe I will get my way. If I keep asking, maybe she will give in. If I throw that big tantrum in this grocery store, maybe I will get the treat. And just learning over time how to firmly and lovingly hold those boundaries and those limits it has been such a powerful and important lesson for me. So, I mean, I believe children are our biggest teachers in a lot of ways because they reflect back to us all of the things that need healing, all of the ways that we can grow and become stronger, more powerful, more loving, more compassionate (laughs) human beings. They definitely do. And then when they take on your bad habits, that's another one where you learn. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the first time my, my oldest said something back to me that I was like, oh, do I say that? I don't even remember what it was, but I remember being like, oh, wow, he got that from me, or like tone of voice or an attitude, like his sarcasm. When he was like three, he said something back to me in a sarcastic tone, and he goes, and that's sarcasm. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? Like, where did that come from? But I knew it was because he learned it from me. Like, he learned that tone from me. It definitely shows you they are such a mirror. They are. There's something that I say to the baby that my toddler copies to say to me sometimes and that can feel like really sarcastic. Like I laugh about it. I'm like, I really can't laugh about that. So I'll tell the baby that's a no. And then I'll tell Liam when he's not listening, like, if you don't do that, then this is happening. He'll be like, that's a no. Yep. They're like, oh, well, that was exactly appropriate in that situation. I don't like it, but <laughs> you know, the context is correct. Yep. Yeah. Especially when they're first starting to talk, you're just thankful, but then you're like, we have to have boundaries. So. Right. Right. Another one that I noticed is that when I went to the supermarket and I was in Target with my son and I don't like to push the cart around everywhere. I like to get more walking without the cart. I don't know what the deal is with that. I just like to do that. If it's like a tiny space, like Target doesn't always have, you know, the easiest time getting through spaces. Right. They're moving things around. So I'm like, I don't really want to push a cart through that. So he'll just like have a panic attack about the cart. I'm like, oh, it's like me that worries all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That mirror. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When I think about nature versus nurture, right? We talk about that a lot in the developmental community. And when I think about my two kids who, you know, have basically experienced all of the same things all of their lives, right? How different they are and how their personalities are so different. My oldest and the way he walks and his mannerisms are so his dad that sometimes I'm like, he didn't even have time to really learn those things from him, you know? And so it's like, how in the world, like this must be in him, like it must be in his genes. And then there are moments where I'm like, 
oh yeah, he totally learned that from me, right? But I say learned because he's been with me longer, but sometimes I wonder how much of that is really learned and how much of it is just like part of his personality, part of, you know, who he is. So there's first, you know, for sure things he's picked up from me, but it's just so funny to see because my husband's not here physically it's really interesting to see that element of nature kind of showing up in my boys like how much they can be like him even though they only had you know a few short years with him it is absolutely amazing I've read about twins that were separated and they have the same mannerisms so I definitely believe that So I was wondering, given your zone of genius, um, what advice do you have for mom entrepreneurs just starting off? One of the reasons why I work with mom entrepreneurs now is because when I was first starting to create this online business, I could only find mentors who were childless. A lot of what they were doing just did not really fit into my life scheme, right? Like there was a lot of content creation constantly, like throwing out new programs all the time. They were going live every day. They were working really long hours or in ways that just did not feel aligned with what I was capable of doing in the throes of having two littles under five. What I did was decide, and I think this is the first thing that moms growing, just starting out to grow a business. The first thing that you need to do is decide that you can grow a business your way around your family. Because it took me a long time to get to that point. I would think I could do it. And then I would see this online entrepreneur doing things in a way that just didn't feel like I could do them. Or I would learn from one of them and and try to implement their system. And then it just wouldn't work. Eventually, I got to a point where I'm like, none of this is working for me. So I have to either quit or believe that I can do it a different way. And so making that shift to believing that even if it takes me a little bit longer, right, even if it takes me doing things in a way that feels a little uncomfortable right now, I can do this in my way. And so making that choice is the first thing, like knowing, truly believing I can make this work in a way that works for me and my family. And then the next thing I would say is giving yourself permission to let some things go. So prioritizing is huge, right? So understanding what actions are going to give me the biggest bang for my time buck as far as my business is concerned. And then what is most important to me as far as my family, my own self-care, my own personal growth and development is concerned. And then making sure that those priorities are the things that you're focusing your time and energy on. For me, that means not being so worried if the rug only gets vacuumed once a week, not being so worried if the dishes go in the dishwasher a little less frequently, not being so worried if I don't mop the floor this week, or if I have to let the kids be on screen time a little bit longer today, right? Like giving yourself permission to let a few things go. (laughs) And then knowing that the most important things to you are the things that you're spending your time and energy on. 
and staying aware of that. The first is acknowledging that you can do things your way and committing to that. The second is prioritizing and letting things go that aren't those priorities, letting them be a little less important to you. And then number three is checking in with that and making sure that you're really spending your time where you want to be spending your time because habits are powerful. And if you're used to procrastinating by doing the laundry, or if you're used to scrolling social media for fun versus for your business, then you can easily fall back into those habits. So practicing awareness around your time and energy and how you're spending it, I think is another key element to having a successful business as a mom. A lot of what you bring up like resonates with me, especially the procrastinating with doing laundry and things like that. Any of the house stuff. I love to tell myself I have to do these things or no one else will do it. And like you're saying, like it can sit and it can get done at some point, especially like when I'm PMSing or close to my period, I do let like the dishes sit if I need to. And I do get to them. They do happen. They, it's not like they never get done. And then you talk about social media procrastinating. I can get lost in that too sometimes where you just want to compare yourself and how you're not where you want to be. And it's like that time can be used to start to plant the seeds and get there. And how you're spending your time and your energy and especially like seeing do the things that I'm doing energize me at all. Like, I think that's a huge question to ask yourself as moms. Yeah. And that kind of gets into like human design a little bit. If what you're doing is not lighting you up in some way, if it's draining you, then it's probably not the thing for you to do. Now, I could say that also about cleaning the bathroom, right? But I know the bathroom needs to be clean. So instead of focusing on does cleaning the bathroom light me up, I can then shift that to, well, does having a clean bathroom light me up? Yeah, it kind of does. Like I like the smell of the cleaners and the essential oils or whatever I'm using to clean. Like I'd like the smell of a clean bathroom and I like when the bathroom, the tub is kind of shiny and when the tiles are all bright and clean, like I love that. So that then shifts from the drudgery to the like enjoyment, right? And you can do the same with tasks in your business. And now does it work always? No. And if you can't find a way to kind of shift that, then it's probably not something to be working on, right? Or not something to be doing in that moment, at least, right? Because our energy changes. I think about things like bookkeeping or even sometimes content creation. Like I'm a writer and I love to create content, but there are days where I'm just like, the idea of sitting down and writing today just does not feel good. And I give myself permission to schedule it for another day. I don't put it off forever because I know it has to be done in order for my business to be successful. But I do allow myself space to check in with myself and say, is this something that I want to be doing? If you're just starting off and you feel like everything feels like hard, right? Because when you're just starting a business, it's all new. Sometimes it's really exciting. And sometimes it's like, it brings up fear. It brings up anxiety. It brings up worthiness, right? It brings up all of this stuff. If you're feeling those things, then shifting to like, okay, well, I'm feeling this now, but I want to 
be in a space where my business is successful and I'm, it's growing and I'm having an impact and creating, you know, ripples in the world. And if I want that, then I have to do this thing. And so that thing over there lights me up. The idea of that lights me up. And I know that this is going to get me one step closer. So maybe this can light me up. Maybe I can feel good about this. So there's a lot of kind of playing with the energy of it. When you get started and you're like, oh, I started this business because I thought it was going to make me a lot of money right away, but I actually like don't like the products or I don't really like what I'm offering or what I'm doing. I don't like working with this type of client when you start to see that and it feels like it just is like all the time, I, this is draining me, it's not lighting me up, then that's when you want to say, okay, maybe I need to reconsider what I want my business to look like. And then I can start worrying about what tasks will get me to that place. Something that I saw that you posted too, I just want to comment on it, is that cooking is relaxing. I'm starting to learn that now. I grew up with a parent that would burn everything on purpose because my dad's mom passed away when he was 20. So he just liked everything burnt. So I'm learning to enjoy the cooking. You're talking about like the smells and everything like that. And it absolutely can be relaxing. I never thought it could be. I always felt like, you know, like, I have to feed my kids like that type of thing. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. They're going to have to yeah. be healthy and all these things. And a lot of that stuff was robbing me from the experience of enjoying it. Yeah. There was definitely a period when the kids were younger where cooking just felt like drudgery, right? Like I have to think of like three meals and snacks every day to make sure that they're, you know, well-nourished and that I'm eating. And it was just, it felt like a lot of work. But before I had kids, I really enjoyed, this is going to sound corny, but I really enjoyed kind of the meditative process. I would put on the radio or, you know, NPR, I'd put on a podcast and I would just, you know, the chopping and the smells and the, the movements and following the recipe. Like I like to follow rules. I like to follow orders. And then at the end, there's this product, there's this result and it doesn't take a really long time. It's like start to finish, usually maybe an hour and even shorter. A lot of the time it was my kind of wind down from the day. And then when I had kids, it became this like have to do it, repetitive, frustrating, they don't like it anyway, usually, like, they're not going to eat it. Why am I bothering? And I realized it was probably during COVID. I realized, like, I love food and I like to cook. And even if my kids aren't going to eat the meals that I make, I want to be making things that I enjoy. I started to tap back into that, like, it's the end of the day. The kids are winding down. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to enjoy some time to myself in the kitchen. Sometimes they like to help, but usually it's kind of this wind down time for us. And so I, I was able to tap back into that meditative, calming experience that it used to be. I subscribed to HelloFresh. So I was getting like all the ingredients. I didn't have to worry about planning. I didn't have to worry about, you know, going to the grocery store and it was just enough that if the boys wanted to try it, they could. And if not, I would have leftovers, but it wasn't too much. Like if I make a big lasagna or, you know, I make some 
big meal. And that made it a little easier for me to reconnect with my love of food and cooking again. So you were mentioning before, like kind of mentioning it, I feel like it was more so like strategy. And I'd really love to hear more about how you learned about human design and how it has helped you with your own strategy and business. So it was probably about two years ago now, I started happening on, you know, some human design coaches on Instagram and did like a free human design reading and was like, I have no idea what this even says. And then a friend of mine had been doing some like personal study around human design. And she was like, I'd love to try doing a reading for you. And so she kind of read my human design chart and gave me a little report and helped me to understand what my human design meant for me. When we went over my chart together, it was like these little like firecrackers. That's why I've, you know, acted like this in the past and, oh, I have permission to do things this way. Oh, no wonder I do X, Y, Z, right? And it's, it's kind of like other kind of modalities, personality tests or astrology or other kind of ways to understand our persona. But for me, human design opened my eyes to the option to allow myself to be who I knew all along I was, right? So an example would be like, as a generator, I have this like, energy center, right? And it's always there. I can draw on it whenever I want to, which means generators are the worker bees, right? Like we're the ones who get stuff done usually. And I could see that play out over the course of my lifetime. I was the person, if somebody needed something done, they came to me and I did it. Like it just was the thing. My conditioning was that I just did the work. I always did the work. Somebody asked me to do it. I would do it. It didn't matter if it lit me up. It didn't matter if I liked it. And I would get burnt out because of that. And that's because as a generator, that energy center stays energized when we are lit up, when we are satisfied by the work that we're doing. Having that moment of like, aha, like this is the thing. I started to make the shifts in my life. Coming back to kind of that emotional intelligence we were talking about and being able to connect with my body, like acknowledging when I was feeling that satisfaction and when I was getting frustrated because I wasn't doing the things that I really love, doing the things that were lighting me up. And so seeing that work in my life got me a little bit more interested in understanding how the whole of human design, other people's human designs and, and what all the energy centers mean and learning more about the gates and, and the gene keys and all of those things. And so I am currently in a human design certification program, learning kind of the fundamentals, the foundations of that and learning how to apply human design in business. And so my clients are benefiting from that because I'm able to pull their charts and kind of take what I'm learning and help them to start applying it to their own lives. And I just think when we, human design is just another tool that we can use to understand the whole of who we are and to move more into alignment with that inner being that we, you know, that 
we have that is like the highest version of ourselves. I love that, that it's a way to actually understand yourself and to be your own teammate, especially. Yeah. And to, to understand that just because we learned to be a certain way, doesn't mean that we have to continue to be that way, that we can, the term in human design is decondition ourselves, right? Like we can unlearn those patterns to become more in alignment with the way that works best for us. Cause it's not the same for each design. Like it's very different depending on the centers that you have defined and the gates you have defined and where your aura is and all of those things. It's different for each individual. I'm a generator and my best friend is a generator, but we're very different based on our charts of how we respond to the world and the way that we use our energy is different. And so it's really cool to know that there's kind of this individual map that I can start to journey on. Like I can experiment with, I can play with and figure out what feels best for me, what's most in alignment for me. Could you tell us about your readings and all your other offers coming up? Mostly. I do readings for my one-on-one clients, but I am currently so that I can get some more practice and become more familiar with all of the different auras and designs. I am offering human design readings for $111, and that includes a PDF with all of the details of your foundational design, so your your profile and your aura and some of the centers, and then 14 days of Boxer so that you can ask questions once you get the PDF and understand more about your human design. And then I also am getting ready to run a 14-day challenge in my community, the Mom Entrepreneur Network. So that's a Facebook group and it's free for anyone who is a mom with a business or mom thinking of starting a business. And it's an amazing supportive community. And I'll be doing a 14-day challenge in there. And right now I'm going back and forth between time and energy management and making your content shine. So it'll be short lessons each day for 14 days with action steps that you can take to start making changes. And I chose this kind of format because in the past I've done kind of the five-day challenges where it's a longer training and then some action steps. And I feel like as moms, especially moms with businesses, our time and energy is already limited. And so giving you some short to the point kind of teaching and then allowing you to implement that in a quick way that's going to start to get some results pretty quickly is a great way to kind of create momentum in your business and get you taking actions. That's why I'm doing this way. And then I'm about to open up seats to my mom entrepreneur Academy, which is a 12 module course and 12 months of group support. So you get the modules should be all recorded by the time the new cohort joins. Right now I'm presenting them live and doing the recording. So they should all be recorded. So you'll get one training a week for the first 12 weeks. And you'll also get group coaching calls for 12 months. And of course the group support with, you know, me checking in, you can ask questions in the group. You can get support from the other people in the academy And it's a great way to take some actionable steps and get results 
pretty quickly, but then have that ongoing support as you start to implement and see results and get some changes. So we cover everything in the academy from vision setting and goal creation and action planning to mindset to copywriting and content creation to organic marketing and growth using social media. So it's a pretty comprehensive program that also really allows you to, like I said, get those clear steps to take, but then also have that support as you start to implement and realize what's working for you and what's not working for you. You can ask questions, you can jump on the group coaching calls and get support, get lifted up. If you're feeling, if you're having those limiting beliefs come in, which we all do, you're feeling that imposter syndrome. I'm there to support you for a full year. So it's a pretty amazing program. And I'm excited to bring in another cohort to start off the fall. It sounds really beneficial too for moms. So definitely check that out. I wanted to find out when is your challenge again? It will be mid-August. So I'm preparing it now and we'll start promoting at the beginning of August, but it'll be happening in the Mom Entrepreneur Network. So if listeners want to jump into that community, they can and everything will be there for them when it's time to run the challenge. What a powerful episode with Amy, and I'm so excited for you to share this episode with any mom entrepreneurs that you know so they get further inspired for their week. I know a lot of us work other jobs during the week, and this is perfect to get you amped up and continue going throughout midweek. It was a pleasure having Amy on, and make sure you check out all her links and join her group. You'll find me there too. I find the group so helpful, and I know it's going to impact you and help you to grow. We can get so lost as moms, as caretakers, and seeing that everyone else needs something. Take some time right now for yourself and to feel into your heart, into your body, your soul, and see what do you need right now? How can you ask for help for that? How can you help yourself with that? How can you share your own magic with yourself? I've said this before, it's been a while, but it's amazing when you get to experience how helpful and how reliable you are for yourself instead of always giving it to others all the time. We need to remember how amazing we are and that amazingness that we share with the world. So have an amazing day, and I hope that you allow yourself to experience your magic today and the rest of the week.